The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So thank you for coming out on this uh, dark and rainy night right after the New Year. I'm particularly happy to be here. And when I was driving down from Berkeley, I was kind of wondering if I was going to be the only one here. So (laughs) I decided to uh, talk about the topic of death tonight because um, the tsunami was three years ago this past December 26th. And um, as perhaps some of you know, I, I happened to be in Thailand at the time practicing meditation. And I went down uh, to um, offer my psychological services to the survivors and people who were looking for family members and friends uh, who had vanished and in hopes of finding and recovering their bodies. So it was my responsibility or the responsibility I took on to um, sit with people while they were going through literally thousands of pictures and trying to um, uh, find numbers so we could then go into the morgue and go through, you know, literally hundreds uh, of bodies to see if the picture they saw perhaps matched the body in the morgue, which was a meditation hall transferred into a morgue. Um, and of course, dealing with the the shock, the grief, the despair, the you know utter you know anguish of life being you know, ripped away in in a matter of seconds. And probably for me, the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in my life was just you know going into the morgue and seeing all these people in bathing suits and bikinis and waiter uniforms and tennis outfits and you know they you know they thought they were just going to have a day you know they thought that they were going to have lunch you know and then within a minute they were dead and lying on a you know floor in a morgue and you know we never think this is going to be the day that I die you know it's just not something that's you know, high in our and the myriad of thoughts we think about every day. Um, but in Buddhism, we particularly learn that reflections on death is one of the most liberating reflections you know, we can have. It's the door into the idea of to the notion, the truth of selflessness and impermanence, and that eventually. You know, they say, you know, one of the reflections um, in the monastery is it's if there's a meeting, there's a parting. And you just never know when that is going to happen. But if there's a meeting, it's built into the meeting that there will be a separation. And another reflection is that everything that's precious to me and I hold beloved, you know, and that I consider mine someday will be otherwise. And this is what we're asked to reflect on every day. And it's not, you know, to bring up more, you know, to make us you know, depressed or a downer or, you know, um, get, get us bummed out. It's not for any of those reasons. 
Um, in fact, for the opposite, it, it's, it's the, the uh, intention is supposed to sober us up, you know, out of the illusion that this goes on forever and that we have time and that we can take things for granted and we can hold grudges without resolving them or we can just, you know, have these mad thoughts, you know, running around in our our minds and hearts, you know, without any sense that, you know, of the urgency that they could actually come to an end and we can, you know, liberate ourselves from suffering, you know, which is, you know, the explicit goal of Buddhism. So, you know, why would death play such a central role in those teachings um, is what I want to talk about tonight. And, um, you know, the, the romance is that we'd like to think that everybody lives to a ripe old age, right, and that they, you know, get some kind of illness and they linger on, they get to have these kind of romanticized goodbyes in tearful scenes and then, you know, the person dies with their loved ones all around them and, you know, they, you know, qu- you know, quote, they were ready to go anyway and it was a blessing and, you know, I'm sure you know that, that kind of romantic litany. And great, if, if that's the unfolding of one's life, um, you know, that's considered a, a very, um, you know, positive way to make a transition. Uh, but it, it doesn't always happen that way, like in, in the movies. You know, sometimes, we, like in the tsunami, there's absolutely no advance warning. It's you're alive one second and, you know, com- gone in the next. Young people die, babies die, you know, teenagers. You know, all through the life cycle, people are dying. And we... Um, and if you don't, you know, if, if people don't have that more romantic, you know, it's the end of life anyway, it was a blessing, uh, you know, the scene of family around, you know, gently holding their hands and going off into the, into the, you know, to heaven or whatever. Um, we think, you know, there's something wrong. It was terribly unfair. It shouldn't have happened. And life shouldn't be this way. Well, you know, Ajahn Chah, the, one of the great meditation masters of the 20th century, said, um, if it shouldn't have been that way, it wouldn't have been that way. But, you know, we're left with an indisputable fact of life, you know, that all of us, you know, live to the time we live until the time we die. And we never know when that's going to be. And it's a total mystery. And we've all heard of people who, you know, go into the doctor's office and everything's fine. And then they walk out with a, a um, you know, a diagnosis of, you know, a terminal illness. Or um, um, I've heard this many times. Somebody just goes to the doctor for something routine and gets a, a blood test. And, you know, just for something routine and, you know, they get diagnosed, never mind, you know, never have, never having a symptom. I mean, there are just endless variations of the process of dying. And um, so in the monasteries, we were, we were asked specifically 
to spend uh, times of reflection every single day on the fact that if there's a meeting and there's a parting, that the death is certain, but the time of our death is not. Can't be predicted. Even if you're dying, it can't be predicted, you know. Um, And that uh, we will be separated from everything that we cherish and find precious and we consider ours, there will be a separation. Um, We're also encouraged to reflect on um, the parts of the body, the 32 parts of the body uh, as not self. You know, if you, uh, one of the reflections I was encouraging to do is called the Gamatan Ha. It's the five five reflections on Kesaloma Nakadanta Tacho, so hair of the head, you're on your walking path, for example, and you just, you imagine taking off the hair of your head and putting it on the side of the path. Then you imagine taking off the hair of your skin, you know, the hair of the skin and putting it on the side of the path. And then uh, your, your teeth, you know, taking them out. So you're basically deconstructing the body, you know, then taking off, you know, your, your nails and then finally your skin, you know. And the question is, you know, where is me? Where is myself? Is it in the hair? Is it in the toenails or the fingernails? You know, is it the hair on my body? Is it, you know, my teeth? Who, who am I really, you know? And that, that we learn through these continual daily processes of reflecting on the body and the eventually disintegration of it um, and the truth of our, you know, existence of being impermanent, uh, that really this, it's a sack, you know, it's a sack and it has all kinds of disgusting things in it. No matter what we do, you know, no matter what we do to our bodies, right, they're, you know, they're, we're, it's set up that it's not going to work, right? So if you get to be my age, you start kind of looking more seriously at these ads that promise, you know, that your wrinkles are going to vanish and, you know, that, uh, you know, your eyelids, or, you know, if you buy this for $110 or something, you know, uh, something's going to disappear and your skin's going to get tighter and more firm. And, you know, you start kind of paying attention. And then like, because of your Buddhist practice, you say, well, you know, not only is it a lie, but it's completely unnatural. It's not, it's, it doesn't reverse. It doesn't go in the opposite direction. It's a one-way street, you know. But they're not going to tell you that because, of course, they want you to buy their product, right? So, but it's interesting how, you know, we get seduced, you know, into, you know, my hair is going to be shiny and I don't have to color it. And somehow it's like, well, I, you know, coloring it is a choice for sure. But it's not going to have that luster that you see in these young girls on the street or young guys on the street because that's the nature of, of aging is that, you know, things fade. They don't get brighter. The only thing that can get brighter is the best thing, which is our minds and our hearts. That can get brighter. But the conditions of our body, you know, are set up to deteriorate. But the conditions of our heart and mind you know, are, are such that we can, uh, we can be sobered by the reality, realities of life, the realities of death that bring us a brighter state of seeing clearly a, a greater sense of stillness, a greater sense of, of calm, uh, 
you know, that gives us a deeper core of being that leads us to ultimately the end of suffering and liberation. Okay, so this is a more reliable quality, <laughs> you know, to spend our efforts on than it is to kind of like look at a magazine cover and it's like, well, well maybe it's true. You know, maybe if I did visit, visit my, you know, the Revlon counter, you know, they, that something could be disguised or changed or whatever, you know, but, you know, it is, it isn't. And, and then they don't get my money either. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's a wake up. Well, I can clean my mind. I can clean my mind. I can clean my heart. And it's the opposite. It's the opposite of, of living out an illusion or trying to buy an illusion. You know, we can't buy it. We just, we can't buy it. It's not, it's not the nature of life. The nature of life is death. You know, and, and it can't, it cannot be sustained. And, no, and it's, and it's, you know, beyond a financial agreement. You know, it's, it's not something that you can pay somebody off. It's not a product. And um, just going back to my experience, you know, I was down in Phuket, which is a very, in, in Krabi. And these are, you know, the most picture-perfect places I've ever been on Earth. I mean, it's like the, the pictures are exactly, you know, as stunning it's the reality, you know, they're not airbrushed, you know, the sky, the color of the ocean, the mountains coming out of the sea, you know, it is stunningly magnificent, right? And, um, and there's a wide variety of people who go to these particular places that were hit by the tsunami. There are resorts, and I kid you not, that cost $2,000 a day. You know, they are so fancy. I, I wouldn't know, but, but this is what I'm told. Um, you know, people have individual swimming pools and you get three massages. I don't know what it includes. I mean, it did. But it costs $2,000 a day. And then there are these kind of hippie beach shacks, you know, where, where young kids go from all over the world, you know, to surf and all that kind of stuff where... You know, you can rent a beach shack for, I think, 10 bucks a night. So the whole spectrum of, you know, uh, of economics, you know, economic, you know, embodiments are there, you know. And so, you know, death doesn't say, well, you're rich or you're young, you know, and only paid $10 on the beach or you're, you know, uh, older and affluent. We're going to, you know, skip you. Uh, it, you know, or you're a child with a life ahead of you or a grandparent, so we might as well sweep you away. It's completely, you know, it's completely irrelevant. And so that was another stunning thing uh, that I got to see, which was that, you know, I was in two places. I was in helping people who were hospitalized, paralyzed, broken this, broken that, uh, waking up, not knowing where they're husband, wife, mother, daughter, sister, brother, friends were. So, you know, along with whatever physical ailment, they were also having nervous breakdowns. And also, as I said, going in and out of the morgue with people. And um, what was amazing to me was that from the Western perspective, you know, this, you know, this should not have happened. This should not have happened. It was, 
you know, the biggest injustice. How, how could this be? And while, you know, the Asian uh, uh, population, the Thais, and it was thousands of the, uh, Thais died together, died as well, um, who were basically in the service industry of serving all these, you know, hippies and up to wealthy people. Um, you know, because of being in a Buddhist country, really had the sense of, you know, this is part of nature and it's completely uncontrollable. Now, this is not to say they weren't in grief and sad and shocked and all that, but the layer of anger and this should not have happened was really absent. You know, this is, you know, this is the real thing. This is what the Buddha taught, you know, that we're destined to die and we don't know when. So, uh, the, the added layer of outrage, the added layer of, you know, the unfairness, um, you know, really makes you realize, really, you know, it was like a stab in my heart of, you know, just what we do to ourselves when we don't uh, meditate on the fact that suffering is inevitable. You know, it's part of the package. You know, this is the way it is. And you can't buy yourself out of it. And I was looking around the morgue and you couldn't tell who was rich or poor. You, you could not tell the hippies from the, you know, the aristocrats and socialites. You know, it was completely indistinguishable. And what difference did it make? You know, what difference did it make? Nothing. It didn't make any difference. You know, um, it, it was completely irrelevant. And it was so striking when, you know, some people flew their private jets in and, you know, uh, you know, somehow demanding that, you know, they get to the front of the line in terms of, you know, identifying their loved ones or, you know, having paying, you know, that the forensic teams or even me would, you know, pay special attention because they were special and they needed to find out about their kid or their mother or their father, their brother, their daughter, their groom. Their, and, you know, those norms don't operate in those kind of situations. They're irrelevant. You know, you can't, those aren't kind of demands that, uh, that are going to be met. We can't buy our way out of it, you know. So that was something that, you know, struck me in such a profound, uh, you know, visceral, you know, uh, sensory way because the smell of all these corpses rotting in a tropical country, you know, you don't forget that too often, you know. So, Again, when I would look around, when I, you know, when I came back to the United States eventually, and, you know, I, I, I saw and experienced, you know, the great efforts that we take in, up in keeping our bodies fit and trim and beautiful and clean and all that, and it was like, yeah, I mean, we should do that, but we also should never forget, you know, that we are a sack. It is, you know, smelly and repulsive. I think that's the, 
there's a line that the Buddha says, you know, our bodies are a sack of repulsive things. You know, that's what the Buddha says. And it's like, you know, you're supposed to say this every single day. And so, you know, as I said, Revlon or Clinique's not going to tell you that. So, you know, that's the effort that we spend time reflecting on, whereas when you're given this full dose of, you know, a dead body, smelling, rotting, whatever, you know, that person doesn't raise their hand and say, but, you know, I have all the Chanel makeup at home, you know. <laughs> you know, or I, I you know, I, pl- I played so often on the tennis court, my body, you know, shouldn't be rotting and deteriorating that way. It, it, that's just the way it is. And um, so I just want to say a few things about, you know, the, uh, you know, even though death is uh, unwanted, you know, uh, you know, it, it comes. And there's grief and there's, uh, a choice or it's different when, you know, we've had the opportunity in meditation from a sense of debilitating grief that includes outrage to really healthy grief you know, pure grief that comes from the fact that, you know, life ends and that people we love die and that it isn't fair, you know. And there's something, and don't get me wrong, when I say beautiful about the purity of grief, because I don't mean beautiful in a physical way, but just the, you know, a pure, you know, chest-heaving cry of grief, you know, there's some, you know, in that just, you know, that we don't have control and that people we love, we are separated from. That's very different than the raging anger of it shouldn't have happened. Why me? You know, my kid was such a wonderful person. You know, those thoughts come and go and it's not like we shouldn't have them. But it But as meditators, we see that it produces a whole different level of grief and the kind of grief that lingers on and on because, you know, anger is a poison. You know, anger is a poison. And so, you know, and that gets fed and fed and fed. And meanwhile, if it shouldn't have happened, it wouldn't have happened. But it did. It did. And it can't be changed. You know, a young person can't exchange places with an old person. It doesn't happen. You know, that's just not the way it is. And parents would say to me, why wasn't it me instead of my son or daughter? Why wasn't it? You know, that's not a question, you know, that, that anybody could answer, you know. You know, my, I said, you know, why, did, you know, why didn't you die because of your daughter? You know, because you didn't. You know, I, there's no other answer. You know, it's just that's the way it was. So what, what can these reflections, you know, really give us? Um, you know, these reflections really help us stay focused on what's important. Uh, and I'm assuming that everybody here has had the experience of people dying. And then when that happens, there is a sobering feeling of all these trivial things. Or am I, by the way, is there anybody who hasn't had these experiences of what I'm talking about yet? <laughs> Um, so many of the frivolous things that bug us fall away. 
you know, we just, we realize how stupid it is to spend so much time, you know, fretting about things that really don't matter, as they say, don't sweat the small stuff. Okay? And then the illusion, you know, the, the delusion comes back in and we start getting irritated. And then, you know, something else sobering happens and you say, wow, you know, I was just, you know, lost in the fact that, you know, we're supposed to split dinner and it didn't come down the middle because this person had a glass of wine and I didn't. And you get stuck in these, like, kind of, you know, uh, obsessive thoughts. And then something happens and you say, wow, who cares? You know, does that does that sound familiar? Do people have that experience where something shakes you up, where the frivolous things just fall away, and the things that bugged you once just don't bug you anymore because you've been sobered. You know, you've been, you know, a dash or a dose, you know, has been, you know, like throwing water in your face and you're alive, and you say, like, you know. That was really no big deal. And people that, you know, come into focus, people that, you know, you found irritating, you know, suddenly you just see, you know, they're just people like you and me, and I probably irritate them too. And, and you see them more clearly. You don't see them as an irritation. You just see them as, you know, people struggling like we all do in life. And so... The bottom of that is just feeling more compassionate towards people and realizing we're all in the same mess, basically, the same boat. And so reflections on death allow more compassion to arise because you think every single person I meet is going to die and we don't, and every single person doesn't know when. And for every single person, when it happens to people that they love, it's going to be sad. You know, so it's hard to get really angry at people when you know that, what's ahead of all of us, right? And so that's a really beautiful outcome uh, of reflecting on death. Another is, you know, forgiving ourselves and forgiving others. Whether you believe in a next life or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's like, who wants, you know, who wants to be angry, you know, at the moment of death, which we don't know when it's going to come? Who wants to be holding a grudge? And even if you don't believe in, an, in, in, a, in a, a rebirth or a next life, it's like, you know, at that point, if you're lucky enough to be able to relate, you know, do you really want to be holding grudges and, you know, yelling at somebody on your deathbed? I don't think so. I mean, maybe. You know, I'm not speaking for every single person. I mean, there's certainly angry people when they die. But, you know, when you think about it, wouldn't it be a lot more peaceful and, and satisfying to say I love you rather than, you know, I never wanted to go to camp when I was 10 and you abandoned me and I felt like a jerk. And, you know, I mean, whatever the complaint is, right? I mean, or, you know, uh, you know and, and just letting the litany of resentments of your life, you know, roll off your tongue. But, you know, so it gives us the, the sense of, you know, do I really you know, how do I want to end, you know, or tie up the package? And the fact of the matter is we, we can tie up the package at any moment. You know, who do we want to forgive ourselves above all? You know, do we want to forgive ourselves for something that happened with our kids or our parents or at work or, you know, the, the, the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened or any humiliation? You know, can we forgive ourselves for, 
you know, being under the, the um, swing and sway of greed, hatred, and delusion, the three poisons, and we, you know, we, do, we do unskillful things in our lives, and can we forgive ourselves you know, every day? And um, there are practices that we're encouraged to do in Thailand and you know, monasteries that say, you know, I, for, I forgive myself for any ways I've hurt or harmed myself today, and I forgive everybody who has hurt or harmed me today, and I ask them for forgiveness for hurting or harming me in, every, in any way. And I let go, you know, of those grudges today because you don't know. You know, do you know you're going to wake up? My brother, who was 44, died in the sleep of a heart attack. I'm sure he, I mean, I, I don't know what he thought before he went to bed that night, but I can pretty much, you know, surmise it wasn't that he wasn't going to wake up the next day. So we don't know. So, you know, who do we need to forgive? What do we need to forgive? And the time is now, you know, for forgiveness. Um, It's not, you know, it's some romantic, you know, time. And how nice that, you know, we can forgive ourselves. We can let us, you know, take ourselves off that hook and say, okay, you know, there were many unskillful parts of my life and then there were many, 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 many skillful things. It's another reflection we're asked to do in the monastery because the Buddha understood that we're our worst enemies, you know, and that we're really good at beating ourselves up um, and amplifying the lousy things about ourselves uh, and being able to, you know, turn around to tell somebody, you know, all the terrible things you've done, you know, from day one. But what about the good things? So we're asked to reflect on those as a way before we go to sleep at night. You know, think of the good things you've done that day. You know, to, to kind of to, to um, put your mind, you know, lighten it up. You know, so when you go to sleep, you're thinking, well, you know, I, I um, um, made an offering to one of the monks. You know, I stepped aside when somebody, you know, wanted to get ahead of me in a line or, uh, you know, on the path to the dining room, I, I um, you know, let somebody go in front of me. Um, and you start thinking of all these little things. Um, I folded somebody's laundry that was on the, you know, that was dry. And they all seem so stupid, right? That's like, so what? That's not going to, you know, really make me happy. But you do, you're supposed to do at least 10. And then, then you go, wow, that wasn't, you know, that was pretty good. And so then when you start thinking, well, you know, I, I, I shifted too much during meditation or I really, I got off my walking path earlier. Those don't, you know, they, they, it's like figure ground. Those don't seem to be as important when you say, well, all those little things are pretty good considering I was in the worst mood I've ever been in today. <laughs> you know, so you think, oh, okay, you know, the, all those things add up and at least I'm going to bed with a, with, with a mind f- filled with things that were skillful, no matter, you know, how insignificant they seemed. Okay, it's better than going to bed with a mind filled of, you know, you know, I'm a worthless person and, you know, I have to keep it a secret, you know, what an idiot I am and, you know, who, who am, you know, I don't need to suggest things <laughs> <laughs> to say to yourself, but you know. Um, um, anyway, the, the 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 other thing I want to talk about is you know the, the, just the common human tendency of procrastination. 
You know, we think there's going to be tomorrow. So we, we don't, you know, we don't forgive somebody. It's okay to let another year go by or month go by, you know, before, you know, writing the letter or having the cup of coffee. We, we just, we say, you know, it'll happen tomorrow. And it's like, you know, I wish, you know, damn, I wish I had said, I'm sorry. Or, you know, I wish I expressed more appreciation. They're gone. You know, so it goes both ways. You don't have to say, I'm sorry. You can tell people, you know, how much you they mean to you and how much you appreciate them and how much they've taught you, admired, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, procrastination covers a lot of territory because if you wait, wait to do these things, uh, we don't know. You know, I, I when when I was in that morgue, I thought, you know, what were all what was all the unfinished business? of every single one of these people, you know? You know, what did they go to their deaths with in their hearts and minds? You know, I believe me, my prayers were that, that they, their hearts and minds were clean and clear, but because we're human beings and we let these waves of delusion, especially in the, you know, Christmas time and, you know, you're out on the beach and you're playing tennis and... It's like it's not a time. It's not a sobering time. It's like you want to get. You want to forget about the truth of impermanence. <laughs> you know, you want to forget. You know, the nature of. That's why you go on vacation. You just want to, you know, like forget all these truths of life. You know, you're not there to remind yourself of them. And so, you know, probably I don't know, but my guess would be a lot of people died in a state of delusion. I don't know. You know, not having expressed gratitude or appreciation or admiration to themselves and other people resolve conflicts. And when I came home, I was just a lot better at doing that. You know, and I, did, and I didn't know it until about a month later that somebody I knew was killed in the tsunami and I was absolutely, just completely devastated by it. And um, uh, she was somebody who practiced with me. Her name was Quan Dao. Uh, Thai woman, and um, she had said to me, she had, we had met up at a monastery, uh, a different one that we that we had practiced in together, and she said, uh, you know, make sure you call me before you leave, because I was leaving from Bangkok, and she was from Bangkok, and I said, I will, I promise, you promise, yeah, I promise. Anyway, I was leaving Thailand, and that day, you know, I called, and I said, well, I'm going to fulfill my promise to Kwan Dao, and I'm going to call, and I called. And I spoke to, and I was speaking in Thai, so I spoke to somebody and she said, uh, you know, Kwan Dao Dai Lao, which means she's dead. And like, like, I knew her mother was sick. I said, no, I was like having this conversation. No, 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 you know, that, you, know her, you mean her mother. No, 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 Kwan Dao Dai Lao. So I'm thinking, well, let me speak to her daughter. I didn't know who that person was. So I asked in Thai to speak to her daughter. Luke Sao. Dai Lao Due, her daughter died too. So now I'm thinking, well, maybe my tie's not so good. You know, maybe I'm not getting this. I said, I'd like to speak to the husband. I knew all these people, by the way, because I used to come to the monastery to visit uh, on Sundays and make offerings to our teacher. Let me speak to the husband, Dai Lao Due, dead too. So uh, 
at this point, I'm like screaming to my monk friend of mine, like, get on the phone, like, you know, something's wrong. And uh, so I asked about her granddaughter. And the granddaughter's, you know, she went alive. So then I said, you know, was it the tsunami? And she said, yes. So her, my friend died, her daughter, her husband, and the only person left was this young girl. Like, I think she was four or five at the time. And, you know, even after seeing all these dead bodies in the monastery and, and you know, practicing death meditation, it was still like, my friend? You know, it was still, you know, still you realize how far there is to go to really make these insights. And my mind was like, she was such a good person. You know, it was all the things that, you know, she was such a good person. And why did she die? She's such a committed Buddhist and she made all these offerings and she was the most generous person. And it's all true, but so what? You know, then I had to kind of like, kind of sober up. You know, her too. You know, her daughter too, her son-in-law too. And then this girl gets to grow up with no grandmother and parents. That's the truth. And it's not ugly or pretty or anything. It's just the truth. Thoughts you know, arise and pass away and so do people and, you know, I was getting on a plane that day and, it, you know, it's like a 17-hour plane ride home and I was just completely in a state of shock and I'm thinking, you know, but this is what I, you know, this is what I was spending, you know, almost two years doing, you know, because, so it bite, you know, death bites us and we don't know what our reactions are going to be. Um, but at least when we meditate, we have a chance to kind of wake up to those thoughts that, you know, are, are pumping at us and pounding at us that, you know, it's not fair and it shouldn't happen. You know, we can wake up and say, well, this is what the Buddha taught. Everything's impermanent. What rises passes away. You know, when we meet, we part. And so, you know, sobering out, you know, having that tragedy and, you know, sober me. You know, stop that train of thought that where was it going to go? <laughs> it was just going to make me more miserable. And, it, it, you know, so it's not that they don't show up, these thoughts. It's just depending on how we're going to relate to the thoughts, you know. So, um, you know, in America, we're pretty isolated from death, you know, um, it's not around us all the time like it is in Thailand. You know, people in the poor areas of Thailand, you know, people like hammer together this, this coffin and it's some cheap wood and they put the body in it and they, they just have these two um, um, cement blocks. They put the, the coffin on it. They put in a, like a, like a uh, plastic tube. There's a gas, you know, gas you know, tank. The gas pours in, somebody lights a match, that's it. In, in more wealthy areas, Thailand, they have, you know, the, crem, you know, the cremation thing. and You don't see that. It's undercover. But it's there. But in these poor areas, it's like really shocking. But, you know, everybody's there. Kids are there. Everybody's there. And that's what they see. And then the, you can see the body right away. When the wood goes up, there's the body. So it's, it's just very different. You know, 
So these are reflections I offer to you, as as I said, not to bum you out or depress you, but to help you have a more meaningful life and to help you not torture yourself, um, um, but to sober up and to be more appreciative and more forgiving and to, uh, to eliminate those procrastinations and to really appreciate above all you know, the precious opportunity of meditation and to embody what the Buddha taught us, you know, as a form of liberation. That, that these reflections, you know, make our life richer and deeper and clearer. And, you know, you can't buy it. It just, you know, you can just develop it. So those are the reflections tonight. And I... Wish you long, happy, and healthy lives, and come what may. So, are there any um, questions or reflections or anything? Anything? Um, You mentioned uh, sobering up uh, when dealing with uh, death in family or with friends or good friends you shared your uh, experience Um, does it not take away the emotions and the feelings that you may want to still uh, be with for Mm. a bit uh, before you uh, take that uh, route or that path yeah that's an excellent question and I'm happy to have the opportunity to clarify it because, you know, there, there will be grief. But there's layers of grief. You know, again, that, that pure layer of just the, you know, sadness that a life has ended versus the, the more complex la- layers of grief that's added on suffering that we say, you know, when we say things like it, it shouldn't have been that way. So, you know, grief is is very focusing. You know, it's uh, and it's not linear. It takes a long time to work through, and it's you know a huge road to compassion. You know, it's really hard to be. Um, um, cold when you're grieving it just it just rips your heart open you know so grief is a huge part of life and oftentimes we're scolded out of it it's been six months what's your problem you know it's it's very humbling you know how long it takes and it's not linear, like one month you're better and second month you're better. It's not like that at all. You see some, I've seen people, you know, where, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, when some, you know, wave of grief comes over. And, you know, it's our, we have to be responsible to that grief and really, you know, experience it and not fight against it. And also not to make trouble with it. You can't beat it up. It's there. You know? So it can't be matcha with grief, you know? <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't, it'll, it'll just knock you over. 
And there's a softening that comes with grief, you know. We've seen people who've really had these, you know, cries, you know, huge, you know, kind of chest heaving cries. And, and then there's this, this, like, softening. And it's kind of never over. It's never really over, you know, I'm over that. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, when, when the Buddha, one of the Buddha's um, attendants died, the Buddha said, the sun and the moon are out of, you know, are, they're like, it's like the sun and the moon are out of the sky. You know. So it's, it's not like there's not grief. It's, you know, how respectful and kind you can be to it. And not shame it away or, you know, beat it up or, you know, the sun and the moon are out of the sky. Yes. So if I understand what you're saying, it's that um, when grief hits you, I mean, it's, it's, natu- it's a natural human tendency to feel, you know, just as if the universe has just been torn in half. But it's your reaction to it. You can add layers of complexity by feeling angry at someone or something. Um, and that can cause more suffering. And what you're saying is that it's not, I mean, it's common, it's human to re, to feel that, but it's your reaction to things that can cause more suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well said. And then through meditation, you know, and appreciating impermanence as one of the characteristics of all phenomenon, we can wake up sooner to that anger or, and say, you know, this, this is adding to my suffering. Sometimes it's easier to be angry than to grieve. Do you think you might be able to share just, I mean, I know it's years of training you've had, um, but like for me, the one thing that I know that would be very hard for me not to be angry about is like losing my two-year-old. Mm-hmm. Just because children, I mean, for me sometimes are, you know, they're, they're this awakening. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. I've become this different person and I've had so much insight after her and then yeah. to even even fathom losing her which it is part of life you know i may lose her before i go you know but you know how they say it's harder to watch your children go before you go because mm-hmm. um, then you think life is unfair and so i don't know if you can share any type of meeting parting meditation you've learned to work on that yeah i mean probably the biggest you know pain in life is you know would be the pain of losing a child and certainly if you're going to any feelings of unfairness that would trigger it you know um and reflecting on death helps you appreciate every single second with that child because there is no guarantee and it it helps you wake up from the feeling of being, you know, that this is taken for granted. You know, the fact is, we don't know who dies first. And if you take for granted that it's going to be you first and, and, and your child later, that's, that's a setup. That's a setup because we don't know. I... So it makes things more precious. When you 
really could sit with don't know mind, I don't know, then every interaction has more power to it. And then every interaction you say like, I'm not going to hold on to that because this could be our last moment together. So, yes. I wonder if you could um, talk a little bit about the relationship between clinging and grieving. And I mean it in this sense. There's awareness here, there's awareness there, there's nobody home. And someone dies, and as human beings, we naturally grieve about the loss of those we care about. And there are other things that we lose, things that we lose that we may or may not um, cling to. Could you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah. Cl- um, yeah. This is the this is the dilemma of being a human being because you know loving people there's a price you know we we get attached to them and then we lose them and you know there's healthy clinging and healthy relation you know healthy you know bonding and clinging and then there's unhealthy and the unhealthy is is the kind of clinging where uh, uh, it's laced with that delusion you know that this isn't this isn't this is going to always be this way it's never going to change you know I'm always going to have this person to cry on their shoulder or whatever and the healthy relationship is that this is so precious right now I'm not going to take it for granted. And a lot of times, you know, the healthy and the unhealthy, because we're not liberated, you know, it's a mixed bag. And that's why it's, you know, so hard to grieve and it's so complicated. It's so hard to let go of the judgments. But the Buddha said, you know, it's clinging that's the cause of suffering. But, you know, there's skillful clinging. You know, we're we're interdependent, we're related. You know, we do depend on people. But the the unhealthy side of that is thinking it's going to last forever. And that's when the grief really knocks you out. Thanks for your talk and the topic. my mother was 87 when she died. It was one. It, it was sort of one of those perfect, the kind of perfect deaths that you describe in a way. Um, and she'd had a long life, and we knew ahead of time, and people were able to complete. And she wasn't afraid of it. And a good number of us were there when she passed. And I always said that it was the biggest gift that she ever gave me. Mm was to be able to go through that experience of the last, you know, few months of her life and, and what we all what we all went through. That, and there was grief. There was grief and there was anger at what was going on, too. You know, there were things that weren't 
that were hard to deal with the hospital and stuff. But the whole thing was really profound. And as you're talking, the thing I realize is a couple of things. First of all, is you forget, you know, that experience of things falling away that aren't important. Well, it, it isn't you don't remember it forever. You know, you kind of got to be reminded all the time. Um, and the other thing is watching her pass. The thing about being the sack, it was so and I've I've been with uh, animals and other people that have, that have died, too. The difference between being alive and being dead, there's you really get clear that the per, the being, whoever the person is, is not in the body. It is just a sack. And that that's for me was really profound, too, to realize that it she wasn't there. You know, her her beingness was there when she was alive and it wasn't in her body when she died. And we actually had the opportunity to, to have a picnic when she was being cremated and, um, you know, celebrate her passing. And we actually uh, were allowed to go in to the crematorium and see what was left of her bones and that was really it was a strange experience but it wasn't it wasn't a negative experience to see the just the the calcium that was left of the ribs and the skull and it was so clear this whole cycle of of life is so different from whatever the whatever the minerals are in the water that makes up our bodies and and there's something really profound about that as well so thank you thank you thank you so I'd just like to end um, with encouraging you to reflect on um, the preciousness of just this moment and some of the things that you'd like to resolve with yourself and others um, letting your own self off the hook forgiving yourself forgiving grievances with other people and and encourage you to reflect on not putting off anything and really doing it now uh, while you can while you're you're uh, healthy and able to meditate so uh, please keep meditating please keep cleaning up the only thing worth cleaning and uh, happy new year